today on CityCast Denver. Denver's master of Chicano noir is returning to his small-town roots in his new novel, Angels in the Wind. When I reflect on growing up in Florence, sometimes it's very idyllic. You know, it's um, country, it's rural, it's quiet, it's natural. Uh, And then other times I reflect on uh, some things that aren't so positive, right? Today is Monday, June 28th, 2021. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. Let's see what's happening out there today. It's supposed to be partly sunny with a chance of storms in the afternoon and a high near 73. Our top story today. I met up with our regular host, Bree Davies over the weekend for coffee, and she's doing well. Her new baby is happy and healthy, and she's excited to be back with us soon. In other news, our city council is voting tonight on a new proposal that would change the way inmates eat at Denver's detention facility and jail. The sheriff's department says they don't have enough inmates to work in the kitchens, and they want to pay a private company called Aramark $9 million to take over food prep and service for the next two years. But what they're not talking about is Aramark's atrocious record of serving inmates in other states rotten food, food riddled with maggots, and food that's been thrown in the trash. Denver Sheriff's Chief Vincent Line told the Denver Post he has no concerns that the department will be able to oversee Aramark effectively. And I guess we'll see how much the council values his word when they vote on that tonight. But did I mention that Chief Vincent Line used to work for Aramark? Hmm. I'm always on the lookout for a good book. And I love reading Colorado authors, so it's a treat for me every year when the Colorado Book Awards come around. When the winners are announced, as they were this past Saturday, I'll scan my favorite categories and put a ton of new books on my reserve list at the library. But this year felt a little different. Of the 16 winners Colorado Humanities announced for 2021, almost all were white. It wasn't everyone, and that's not including the nominees, but still. It's pretty clear something is going wrong if we're not recognizing more of our talented writers of color. We can do better. Every great city has a great mystery writer willing to plumb its depths. Sometimes it feels like a prerequisite to be a great city in the first place. There must be that one person willing to take a clear-eyed look into the underbelly, the darkness, evil lurking in the shadows, to show readers what's really hiding around the corner. It's a particularly strong tradition in Los Angeles, with crime fiction greats like Raymond Chandler, James Elroy, and Walter Mosley. In D.C., they've got George Pelicanos, telling stories in that murky space where the federal government meets the chocolate city. And here in Denver, we've got Manuel Ramos, the master of Chicano noir. Here, I'll put my face on for a minute here. Manuel is my favorite local writer. I've been following his work pretty much since the first gripping page of Desperado, A Mile High Noir. And I have to give some credit to the Colorado Book Awards on that one. They got it right when they gave Desperado the nod for Best Colorado Mystery in 2014. It was Manuel's first starring Gus Corral, an ex-con private eye from the north side, struggling to keep up with the neighborhood changing before his eyes. I've since gone back and enjoyed many of Manuel's other award-winning stories and novels. But I've still got a soft spot for Gus, who's back in Manuel's latest, Angels in the Wind, which follows Gus out of the city and onto the Eastern Plains. 
Manuel Ramos, welcome to CityCast Denver. Yeah, good morning, Paul. How are you doing? Or maybe, I don't know, is this a morning thing or not? Oh, this is absolutely a morning <laughs> thing. And I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for asking. Um, Manuel, I have to tell you, I, I loved your new book, Angels in the Wind. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I uh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And and as a noir fan, like I've been uh, I've been reading your stuff for a while, and I I think the first thing listeners have to know is that you you don't just write noir; you write a more specific version of noir, more a more specialized version. You've described your novels as Chicano noir, and I wonder if we could start with breaking that term down a little bit. What is a noir, and what makes your novels Chicano noir? I, I, it was once described to me that in a noir story, the protagonist is screwed on the first page, and it goes downhill from there. You know, so so that's <laughs> that's the way um, traditionally you look at these stories. Uh, they're dark. Uh, there's often not a hero. There's usually not a happy ending. Uh, the, the literary noir can trace its roots back to uh, noir movies, uh, the new German wave and the French cinema of the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And, and from that developed the uh, classic noir movies of, uh, of the American cinema that we see. You'll never understand me, but I'll try once and then give it up. When a man's partner is killed, he's supposed to do something about it. It doesn't make any difference what you thought of him. He was your partner, and you're supposed to do something about it. Now, what I do is I take all of that and mix it up with some cultural and 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 historical references uh, coming from my own background. You know, myself, I'm a Mexican-American. I'm a Chicano. And so when I throw all that in there, involving my cultural history, my heritage, and, and combine that with a noir story, I think I come up with something called Chicano Noir. Well, it's a wonderful combination. And I have to say, you know, just as a personal note from me, as someone who's relatively new to this city, who loves learning about it, and who also loves the noir as a genre, your novels have been a real uh, open door for me to learn about different aspects of Chicano culture that I am not getting anywhere else and i think there's something about that combination of the noir with chicano culture that's really really special well that's uh that's uh heartening to hear that uh and uh you know it's it's not anything that that i was consciously trying to create it's just you know i'm a storyteller i told the stories i knew Uh, my grandfather was a storyteller i repeated some of his stories and we ended up with what uh, other people have called Chicano Noir, in which I'm uh, quite happy to talk about and to uh, say that, yeah, I do that kind of stuff. <laughs> and when listeners do read the book, at least this new one and the and the most recent few that you've written, they'll find your hero, Gus Corral. Yeah. And I think we got to talk about Gus because he's becoming uh, quite the character over the course of these last few novels. Yeah. Can you talk about where where he's coming from and where he's at at the start of this new one? Yeah, okay. Well, at the start of the new one, Angels in the Wind, uh, he's still suffering from the effects of what happened in the previous book. And in that one, he's uh, Gus actually ends up in Cuba, and he, he's uh, he's involved in this uh, this plot to smuggle money into Cuba, 
on behalf of a superstar athlete. But at the end of that story, uh, he gets really beat up. And, uh, and, and it's actually at the end of that story, some people were worried that maybe I'd killed him off uh, since it was so serious. But when we open up uh, Angels in the Wind, we find that, uh, no, he survived, but he's in pretty bad shape. And so he's suffering from uh, depression and headaches, um, anxiety, uh, he can't quite focus. And uh, his sister, Corrine, who's been a character in these stories from the very beginning, advises him that he needs to get away. He needs to get out of Denver, out of the north side. And maybe he can go help some relatives that live on the eastern plains. Uh, he's an investigator after all. And uh, there's a boy, a cousin named Matthias, who is a chronic runaway and at the beginning of the novel, uh, Corrine tells Gus that uh, it's more serious this time because the boy's already been gone for a month and they need some help to try to find him. And so that sounds perfect for Gus. He gets out of the city, heads to what he thinks is going to be the quiet countryside and uh, starts to search for Matthias. And of course, after that, it gets a little crazier. I felt like I was sucked into a black bag as soon as I left the town limits and turned onto Deer Lick Way, the road to Essie's house. I concentrated on the stretch lit by my headlights, and I told myself that I was driving in the quiet and peaceful countryside, nothing to worry about. No rush hour madness, no out of control truckers, no drunk office workers speeding to the next happy hour. I breathed in deep and full. There had been a time when I would have believed these thoughts and the ride wouldn't have meant anything to me except as a way to get to where I would sleep. But that was before my dented head and warped imagination. Now I turned to the darkest alternative. I followed Essie's directions and for a few miles my phone's GPS worked. But when I climbed a small hill and then sunk below the horizon, my phone went blank and Essie's words jumbled together in my memory. It's not that bad, I whispered in the narrow cab of my pickup. Focus, focus. The truck's smell, grease and sweat, reassured me. The smooth-running Chevy six-banger gave me confidence. I relaxed and remembered that Essie said to watch for a sign with an arrow pointing to Gilroy Road. I picked up speed on the downslope of the hill. The sky was dotted with stars never seen in the city. Night draped over my faded pickup. I cruised faster than I should have. Images of Wes Delgado and Rob Lopez mixed with the photographs of Matt that Matt's father had given me. I worried about Matt and couldn't avoid the darkest thoughts about what had happened to him. I almost drove past the sign that appeared suddenly in my headlights. I slammed the brakes and the pickup fishtailed on the gravel road. I wrenched the oversized steering wheel and hoped I'd stay on the gravel. I didn't. The truck swayed and rocked, and I ended up turned around in the shoulder-soft dirt. The sudden stop killed my engine. My headlights flickered, and I turned them off. I could see only blackness. I started to sweat. I felt dizzy, and a hot flash confirmed I was in panic mode, although nothing serious had happened. I took in deeper breaths of air. I pumped the gas pedal and turned the key. 
I did that too many times and stopped only when I accepted that I'd flooded the engine. You dumb fucker, I said to myself. So we just heard an excerpt from early on in Angels in the Wind, and this is a point where our hero Gus is is just setting off to try to figure out what happened to Matt Montoya, his his cousin or maybe a nephew. I wasn't quite sure yeah, what the relation was. Right, and uh, Gus reflects on how it's sometimes family relationships uh, uh, can get kind of confusing, and so he's cousin to Essie and to Matt's father, but. I mean, Matt could be his nephew, could be his cousin, or maybe they're not even related. They just call each other cuz, so. <laughs> but they're all family anyway. All your Gus Corral novels have carried the subtitle A Mile High Noir, yet Gus has found himself in Mexico, Cuba, like we talked about. He's, the climax of one of them took place up in the mountains, um, and now this new one, the story plays out in Pueblo and the Eastern Plains. Uh so I want to ask you about place and specifically Pueblo and the Eastern Plains. Is there something about those places that reflects something about Denver right now that you wanted to explore? Uh, well, uh, let me give you a little bit of my history. You know, I grew up in the small town of Florence, Colorado, which is mm-hmm. south. Uh, and going to the big city meant going to Pueblo for us. <laughs> and my wife grew up in Lamar, which is right in the area of what I wrote about in uh, Angels in the Wind. And Lamar is, is a small town out there on the plains. Um, and, you know, w- w- when I reflect on growing up in Florence, sometimes it's very idyllic. You know, it's um, country, it's rural, it's quiet, it's natural. Uh, we grew up along the river. Uh, and then other times I reflect on uh, some things that aren't so positive, right? I mean, the community was very split in terms of racial and ethnic identities. Uh, everybody knew where they were supposed to live. And, he, you know, there was an inherent racism in the town. Uh, and, and so for me, it's kind of a, a double-edged view of of that kind of Colorado which is very mm. different from the Colorado of Aspen and uh, Breckenridge or Denver, right, or Boulder. For Gus, who's a city boy who grew up on the streets, who has had uh, tension and uh, and agitation because of the gentrification of his neighborhood. And so he's not, you know, in the Eastern Plains, he's not dealing with gentrification necessarily. He's not dealing with... Uh, inner city violence uh, relation relating to gangs or uh, drug dealing necessarily, but he comes across a different kind of violence and a different kind of evil uh, th- that exists out there. Uh, Gus gets out of Denver thinking it's going to be a, a time to maybe ease back and just the opposite happens. To find out more, you're just going to have to pick up a copy of Angels in the Wind at your favorite local bookstore. And while you're there, I asked Manuel for a few recommendations of other local writers of color that he'd recommend. And I'm going to put those in the show notes for you.
That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute and tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Until then, I hope you have a really good day. Boy, that felt so half-hearted. Let me try that again.